Our second scripture reading today comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. We'll be looking at verses 34 through 46, and you can find that in your pew Bibles on page 1535. Matthew 22, verses 34 through 46. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Thus ends our reading of God's salvific word. May all who hear it look to the Son of God and find his mercy. The great missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, was once interviewing these young volunteers who wanted to join him on his mission. And as he interviewed them, he he asked them this simple question. Why do you wish to go as a foreign missionary? One of these volunteers answered, I want to reach others across the sea. Because Christ has commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Another said, I want to go because millions are dying without ever having heard of Jesus, the only one who can save them. Hudson Taylor looked at them thoughtfully and then said, All of your motives are good. But I fear they will fail you in times of severe testing and tribulation. Especially if you are confronted with the possibility of having to face death for your testimony. The only motive that will enable you to remain true is stated in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us. For Christ's love compels us. What Hudson Taylor was getting at was that their own love, whether for Christ or for for the people around them, was insufficient. And that only the love that Jesus has for them would enable them to carry out his mission. In our passage for today, we see a similar thing. We see an insufficient love 
and a Savior whose love is pure. We have now reached the last of three theological challenges that were placed before our Lord. And if you recall, ever since Jesus had entered Jerusalem as as the Messiah, his authority was being challenged by these religious leaders of Israel. These different Jewish factions, those who were typically quarreling amongst themselves, they were now teaming up in an effort to undermine Jesus' claims. Claims that he was their king, that he was their high priest, and that he was the prophet of God. And the first challenge, if you remember, came from from both the Pharisees and the Herodians, as, as they had asked Jesus if it was right to pay taxes to Caesar or not. And if you remember, after looking at a coin, a coin with Caesar's image on it, Jesus said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. In other words, you can be obedient to these earthly kingdoms so long as your allegiance is to to the one whose image you bear. And then last week we we saw that it was the Sadducees who came to Jesus with with their faulty materialistic worldview as they asked him about the resurrection. And they had come to him with this absurd story concerning a woman who had, over the, the, the time of her life, been married to seven brothers. And they wanted to know, whose wife would she be at the resurrection? And the reason they, they asked this question was to prove the, prove the foolishness of what Christ was teaching. For they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And yet Jesus swiftly rebuked these men saying that they knew neither the scriptures nor the power of God. That because of their deficient worldview, they didn't understand that God was close at hand. In fact, he was right there standing in front of them, even though they refused to see him. And now today we we, we see a similar, similar thing. As the Pharisees have now come to Jesus once again, this time with a question concerning the law. Let's take a look at our text. Look at verses 34 through 36. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? So what is this question all about? How does this put Jesus on the spot? Remember, these men were trying to undermine Christ's authority. And so there must have been something to this question. Something that would ensnare Jesus. Honestly, the the trap that the Pharisees were trying to set had more to do with their own misunderstanding of the scriptures than, than anything else. Just like the Sadducees, they too had a, had a faulty hermeneutic or interpretation of the scriptures. You see, when they, when they approached God's word, they had a one-track mind. They viewed it as an instruction manual more than anything else. And this is why they lived such strict lives, following the letter of the law to a T. In fact, they were so dedicated to being obedient to the commands of God that they even went beyond God's word 
and followed what was known as the tradition of the elders. These were the oral sayings that they had claimed were passed down from Moses. Rules such as how many steps a man can walk on the Sabbath before it's considered work. In essence, what they had done is they had, they had built a wall around God's law in order to make sure that they would never break a command. And so when they approached Scripture, they came to it with this perfectionist mindset. And this is the genesis of their question. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? You see, they, they would debate these things amongst themselves often categorizing the law into, into light and heavy commands, the heavier ones being the more important. And there was this thought that, if, that if, if one could just figure out the heaviest of commands, then all other commandments would fall in line behind this one. And that is basically what they were asking of Jesus. What is the, the one law that if you obeyed it, all other laws would somehow fall into place. Now the hope of these Pharisees was that however Jesus answered, he would be creating some kind of division among his followers. That there would be some who, would, who wouldn't be in agreement with, with Jesus and thus they would walk away from this so-called Messiah. But here's the issue with the, with the Pharisee strategy. Jesus was never trying to win over the crowds. For his authority wasn't derived from having the largest following. No. His authority came from who he is. And thus, answering their question did not worry him in the slightest. He would speak the truth and let those who wanted to leave, leave. And with that being the case, let's, let's see how he answered them. Look at, look at verses 37 through 40. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This comes to us from a section of scripture known as a Shema. If you look at Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 and 5, uh, this is uh, what is known as a Shema and something that was recited quite often by the Jews. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. What we just read was probably the most well-known verse of Jesus' day. People were so familiar with this verse that it could probably be compared to John 3.16 of today. And perhaps even more so. For the typical practice for any faithful Jewish household was to recite this verse two times each day, once in the morning and once in the evening. And if, even if you were a little child, 
you would have had these words memorized. And so the answer that Jesus gave was not a radical answer. No. It, it was a Sunday school answer. You know what a Sunday school answer is, right? What's today's Sunday school answer? Jesus. Jesus, yeah. It's the answer to every question, right? It's the Sunday school answer. And yet it is the correct answer. Just as Jesus is the correct answer in Sunday school. And when you think about it, love for God is at the heart of every other commandment. In fact, there is nothing in Scripture that can truly be obeyed without a love for God. And this is why Jesus said that the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This, this was quoted from the book of Leviticus. Look at Leviticus 19, verse 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You see, when, when a person has a love for God, then a love for one's neighbor will naturally follow suit. For your neighbor bears God's image. And any sin against your neighbor is a sin against God himself. This is why the Apostle John could pen these words. Look at, look at 1 John 4, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not, have, who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. You see, these, these two commandments are intricately intertwined. For if you love God, you will also love what he loves. And God loves his creation, particularly those who bear his image. And that is the beauty of these two commands. For they are the premise of all other commands. And if they are obeyed, if you love God, and if you love your neighbor, then everything else falls into place. Commands such as, you shall have no other gods before me. Laws such as, you shall not steal. I mean, think about it. How can you worship another god when you are loving Yahweh? How can you steal from your neighbor when you are loving that person as you love yourself? And yet if we are honest with ourselves, we have to confess that we do not do these things. We do not love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, and with all our strength. We do not love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And thus we worship false gods and we steal from our neighbors. When you look at the Ten Commandments, each and every one of us would be found guilty. For we have broken at least one, if not, and more likely many of these. I mean, how many of you have ever misused the name of the Lord your God? How many of you have kept the Sabbath perfectly? Who here has fully honored their parents? How about giving a false testimony against your neighbor? What about coveting your neighbor's house? 
and everything else that he has. I mean, here's the thing. We, we, we tend to throw this word around, this, this word called love, as if it's something that is easy to do. When the fact of the matter is, it is the hardest. For to truly love demands an abandonment of the self for the sake of the other. And yet in our sinful nature, we find this impossible. For our natural tendency is to put ourselves first. And that is why love is the heaviest of commands. And it is a command that condemns us. It condemns me, and it condemns you. Listen, when, when you hear this verse, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, it should scare you. For no one can keep this command. It demands perfection. And, and this is where the Pharisees got it all wrong. For when they interpreted the scriptures, they thought that the law was put in place to perfect them. When in reality, it was meant to condemn them. Look at, look at Romans 3, verses 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. The primary purpose of the law is to condemn us. And this command to love God declares the loudest that we are guilty. But, but it doesn't just condemn us, but it also points us. It points us to our greatest need, the need to be rescued from our sins. The law demonstrates to us the inability that we have in order to reveal to us a Savior. It shows us the only one who is truly obedient. The only one who can truly love. And this is why Jesus did what he did next. He pointed these Pharisees to himself. Look at verses 41 and 42. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. With this question, Jesus has turned the focus upon the real issue at hand. The issue that not only the Pharisees, but really all the religious leaders had with Jesus. His identity. You see, these, these men, they, they didn't really care about whether people paid taxes to Caesar or not. They didn't care about the details concerning the resurrection or even what the greatest commandment in the law was. Those were just shots taken to undermine Christ's authority. 
But what they did care about was whether or not Jesus was truly the Messiah or not. And whether or not they would have to submit to his authority. And so Jesus gets to the core of the issue as he asks these men, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Of course, their answer was textbook, right? I mean, these are Pharisees. They know the word inside and out. The son of David. This is clear from the scriptures. The Christ or the Messiah would be from David's line. And he would be a great king, just as David was. Like David, he would rescue his people from all their enemies and establish God's kingdom once again. And this is what they meant when they answered the son of David. So technically, their answer is correct. The Christ would be from the Davidic line. But this answer that they gave was insufficient. For look at Jesus' response. Look at verses 43 through 45. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? Now the passage that Jesus was quoting here comes from Psalm 110, verse 1. And this is the most quoted Old Testament verse that you'll find in the New Testament. Let's look at this verse. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now in this verse, we see two words that throughout the Old Testament were used to describe God. Now, our English translations, in, in these translations that we have, both of these words are interpreted as Lord. But in the Hebrew, we had two different words. We had the word Yahweh, and we had the word Adonai. When you see Lord in all caps, it is Yahweh. But when you see only the L capitalized, then it's Adonai. So let's... Let's do a little experiment here. Let's look at this whole passage, this whole messianic psalm, and let's replace the English words of Lord with the Hebrew so that we can get a fuller sense of the meaning. Yahweh says to my Adonai, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Yahweh will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy majesty from the womb of the dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. Yahweh has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Adonai is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead, and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook beside the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. This psalm paints for us a picture of just how powerful the Messiah really is. 
This Adonai is not just some human king, but he is a divine ruler sent to judge the nations. He will shatter the kings of this world, humbling any who oppose him. And his rule will spread throughout the whole earth, and not just Israel. And he's not just a king, is he? But he is also a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And he commands an army of angels who fight tirelessly, tirelessly for him. And most importantly, he is David's Lord. He is David's Adonai. But if he is all those things, then how can he be David's son? For a son is beneath the father. Yet this Adonai, he demonstrates supreme authority. David saw this when he penned these words. And now Jesus wants the Pharisees to to see the same exact thing. This question that, that he posed to them was meant to get the Pharisees thinking. Thinking about their own pre-established views concerning the Messiah. For if God's word, that which was spoken by the Spirit, demonstrates that the Messiah is more than just a man, more than just the son of David, then those preconceived notions would be challenged and the claims of Jesus would have to be taken seriously. Thus the question, whose son is he? Whose son is he? Let us think about that. Yes, in one sense, he is the son of David, but he is so much more than that. For he is also the son of God. He is our Adonai. He is fully man and he is fully God. And he is the only one who can bring about a true salvation. For he is the only one who can truly love. Dear friends, I I, I hope you see this. The Messiah is more than we hoped for. For we are not rescued by a mere man, but by the God-man, Jesus Christ. He is the only one who is capable of abandoning himself for the sake of those he loves. This is why he went to the cross so that you could be forgiven for all those times that you didn't love God fully and that you didn't love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, God's law was not written to perfect you but to demonstrate to you your neediness. It is there to show you how deficient you truly are. And that without a perfect Savior, you would be lost. The law of God points you directly to Jesus Christ. Now to these Pharisees, the Christ that they were looking for was only a man. Only the son of David. They were looking for a ruler who would free Israel from the Roman oppressors. They were, they were looking for a man who would reestablish this earthly kingdom. But what they were not looking for was the Son of God, a divine Messiah. And the reason they did not look for him 
was because they did not see their greatest need. They did not understand how sinful they truly were. They believed that by being obedient to the heaviest of commands, that they could become righteous. For them, the, the only help that they thought they needed was for someone to grant them freedom from Rome. Thus, they did not see the shackles of their own sins. And that is what is so amazing about this passage. For these Pharisees, just as the Sadducees the week before, they had the Messiah standing right before them. And they did not recognize him for who he truly is. Because they were looking for someone else. They wanted the son of David and not the son of God. They wanted the human king who could rescue them from their human problems. When what they needed was a divine savior who could free them from the shackles of their sins. From the shackles that declares you do not love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. And you do not love your neighbor as yourself. Commands that are too heavy for you to lift. And that is why Jesus pointed to himself. Whose son is he? Is he the son of David? Or is he the son of God? Look at our last verse. Look at verse 46. No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared ask him any more questions. The mouths of the Pharisees were stopped. For Christ had proven to them from the scriptures that his claims were true. They could not refute him. And yet our mouths are stopped as well, are they not? For in our inability to fulfill the law, to love God and to love our neighbor, we too must look to a Savior, one who can fulfill the law for us. No longer can we look to our good deeds for salvation, for we do not love God as fully as we should, and we do not love our neighbors as ourselves. And so instead, we must look to this Son of God. We must look to the God-man who, who died for our sins on the cross. We must look to the only one who loves God with all his heart, and with all his soul, and with all his mind. We must look to the sole person who loves his neighbor as himself. We must look to Jesus Christ. Whose son is he? He is the son of God. And he has come to rescue you. Let us pray. Father, we come to you now as a humbled people. Humbled in our inability to love. We, we see these heaviest of commands and, and we confess we stand condemned. Yet in your mercy, in your grace, you sent your son. You sent us Jesus Christ to rescue us from our sins. 
And for that, we are eternally grateful. And we ask now that your Holy Spirit would move amongst us so that we can better love you and that we can better love our neighbor. But we can't do this in our own strength. We need your strength. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.